What's up, everybody? Welcome to Stack and Sats, presented by Four Space Mining. Welcome back. It's been a little bit. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I am Plamenko Vasic. I am your host here. And this is a podcast where we talk about all things Bitcoin. Today, you won't be surprised to see a special guest returning. His name is Matthias de Bernardini. And we had him on the pod back in January of this year. Matthias has really climbed and done uh, some pretty awesome things in the Bitcoin community since then. So we wanted to take the time to highlight uh, his work and his process as a software engineer in Bitcoin. Uh, we go over mining conferences since this episode was recorded just a little bit after Bitcoin Miami. And then we jump into the nitty and the gritty, the things that Matthias is just a nerd about. We're talking about lightning. We're talking about Fedi, Fedi Mint. And then we go into a little bit more about Matthias's journey, um, starting his new career with Anchor Watch. As always, this is not financial advice. Please enjoy my conversation with Matthias de Bernardini. So weird to have my have my nuts out so freely. I can't do this. None of this. What if I did it up here? Then I just feel like I'm an old man. You feel like you're man. <laughs> oh, well. Basically, we're gonna jump into it. Yeah. Welcome to Stack and Sats, presented by Forest Space Mining. I'm your host, Plumbing Kovacic. It's been a while since I've stepped into the studio, and this is going to be a special episode because I got Matthias with me for round two. Yep. Heck yeah. Happy to have you here, Matthias. Happy to be here. Uh, we were mentioning earlier, basically just talking about buff dudes and Bitcoin. I felt feel like it's a good segue to just jump right into Bitcoin Miami, and yeah. how was your experience? I mean, my experience there was... Uh, it was good. Uh, I really, I really enjoyed everyone I met. Um, and the what I really enjoyed the most though was Pleb Lab. I was the first time I'd ever gone, and what was great was just seeing all the builders uh, and all the projects that they're working on. Uh, what exactly is Pleb Lab? So Pleb Lab is this uh, conference that, um, uh, sorry, not Pleb Lab. Plebfi. <laughs> Plebfi, gotcha. There's also Pleblab. That's in Austin, Texas. Uh, Plebfi is this conference started by Jeremy Rubin. It was around the time that he was trying to rally everyone around uh, his new soft fork uh, opcode proposal for CTV. And he wanted to just get a bunch of builders in and just like try to explain CTV to them and get them to just make cool shit with it. Uh, there's like a hackathon. It's in Wynwood, so it's like a really nice area. Yeah. Um, and just a lot of really, really great people. I, I just got to meet um, just so many awesome people. People I've already follow on Twitter that follow me. Um, got to meet new people. You know, we connected, and you know, it's always great to see you know potential opportunities uh, of you know how how we can work together. Mm. So that uh, Plebfi was my favorite part. 
honestly. You were there a lot. I think I think it took about three days or so for us to yeah. finally link because yeah. you were just at Plebfi nope, drink, yeah. drinking Coronas, <laughs> talking to ordinals and meeting other devs. Yeah, it, it uh no, I definitely did try to spend as much time as I could there. But again, you know, with the there's always just so much to do that week. Everyone's in town. You you wanna hang out. Mm. And it it yeah. So it was it was a great experience. But Bitcoin Miami was great. Um it's always great to see who's still there during a bear market, after a bull market, you know, because during a bull market, everyone shows up. You know, it's cool. You know, it's like you see all this excitement, but then, you know, the excitement kind of quells a bit and you really get to see who's serious. And then you you see it's like, okay, look, that company, I didn't think they were going to make it and they didn't. <laughs> well, for personal experience, yeah. you and I both working with DLI yeah. and the large amounts of money that our company had spent marketing just for us to not be here with them a year later kind of speaks to what you're saying. This is, and I, I feel like we just sort of saw the worst of it. Um, you know, I'm sure there were other companies there that, you know, really did have something interesting and, you know, were working really hard, but just maybe couldn't make cut it or they didn't, they didn't manage their finances well enough and just ran out of money. Um, Population-wise, it was way less. It like, was like 10,000, I heard. Yeah, compared to 30,000 40, 40, 30, yeah, years before. Yeah. So from like my perspective, you know, I'm still with a company. We're still looking to sell our services and what, whatnot, and we're looking to make business. Mm-hmm. So from that perspective, it was a little bit tougher. Mm-hmm. Not having a booth yeah. also makes it tougher because you don't have just like the central point where people are coming up to you. Mm-hmm. You have to do conversation over and over. So from my perspective, you could see a little bit more of like the hunt. You could see the other brokers, mm-hmm. you know, everyone was really serious and intent mm-hmm. on doing business and making some money while they were there. And in, in that, in the meantime, I just felt like Matthias was just like, in paradise, you know, going from one person to the next, speaking about projects. So I, I did want to ask you a little bit about how does it feel being a dev going to a conference versus last year when you were with DLI and you had to represent yeah you know, something to sell. No, exactly. Uh, I got uh, my ticket for free. I got an industry pass ticket for um, relatively minor contribution that I, that I made to Fediment. Uh, and I spent a good amount of time at the open source stage, you know, make sure I, I got to meet people. I saw the, the, the but I saw a really cool project that we're, we're going to talk about later, um, Leanna Wallet. And it's really just so much better to talk about, you know, potential uh, projects that you can work on rather than just like try to hammer down a business deal. Which, you know, that's fun too. That's, that's good too. That's, that's why you're there. But for me, that's just easier to talk about, uh, you know, trying to sell yourself in, in the crypto space, it's hard, (laughs) you know, like you don't want to come off as like scammy, uh, you, you know, you, you think you may have value to offer, but, you know, communicating that in, in a way that, 
isn't like really forward, you know, it's tough. And and also it's like, you want to get to know the person first. Uh, and and that takes time. You know, it's like, what are your problems about? Um, you know, and if you're just there to sell, you know, you're just going to try to like skip over that. And then people can tell, you know, it's like, oh, you're really just here to just, you know, sell me something. So from a debt perspective, it's, it's always just like way more fun. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, we got to meet Patrick, uh, in Penguin Academy. Yeah. That was really and cool. Holden. And Holden. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to, I got to, you know, really the, the conferences, the reason why the conferences are important, uh, is because the whole world of Bitcoin is online and all you ever see are just like avatars, you know? Um, but when you show up to the conference, you see that it, it, you know, it's, it's real people. And, you know, once you finally get to connect in person, it's, it it just makes the online interaction that much more fun. Yeah. In my opinion. So from, from that perspective, I, you know, highly recommend, I think they're going to keep doing the open source, uh, contributor project. So for anyone there that has like Python skills or JavaScript, uh, Rust or C++ skills, uh, uh, Java as well. Uh, there's, there's tons of projects for you to contribute and then you can learn, uh, how to work at it in a big project like that, which is really, you know, if you're trying to break into development is, is a really good way to do that. And it'll also, you know, you just start putting yourself out there. So, um, I highly recommend for anyone that's listening, you know, if you think you want to do that, uh, yeah, feel, feel free to reach out and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll point you to some really interesting projects that are high impact that you can contribute to and you can win, uh, you can, you can earn, uh, a ticket to Bitcoin Miami, which is, which is fun. You're a lot more resourceful in your education of, uh, Bitcoin and orange pilling. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it felt like, yeah, yeah, you definitely, you're willing to share the enthusiasm spread it now. And that's a really key component. I know Bitcoin is all about self-research, self-discovery, this yeah. personal journey. Yeah. People don't work that way. People generally need someone to spark an interest in them. Totally. And sometimes you can do a lot of self-discovery and self-research, but just not really find out about opportunities. And the the best way to do that is to put yourself out there, you know, say hi to people, start talking to them. And, you know, if you show up with good intentions, people will want to help you Mm -hmm. and, there's just no shortage of work to be done uh, that people are willing to pay for. There's um, one really good initiative called the OpenSats project. If you're if you're a C++ developer, like you should really look into that. You can do like they'll they'll pay you like six figures uh, for a whole year and have you work on Bitcoin Core. Like that can be a really good product because if you if you work on Bitcoin core for like a whole year, you can then like, there's a real shortage of C++ developers worldwide. Um, so is that still a language that's popular, useful? It's definitely still useful. Um, it's still widely used. Um, I mean, if you want to target like a specific embedded device, 
C or C++ is your best bet. It's not really so much with the language itself, but just like the ecosystem, the, the tooling and like the products that are available for it. Um, you know, if you buy a chip off of a vendor, like chances are if you want to implement something for it, it's going to be in C++. And there, there's just there's just a lot of C++ software out there. That's just the that's just the truth. A lot of it works. It's just fine. But they need people to like look after it. Mm. And uh, at the same time, though, like it, there's a lot. You know, there's a lot. There, there's room for improvement in C++. You know, or or, or maybe not, depending on your person. Maybe you think it's already perfect. Um, but that's that's why things like Rust uh, exist you know, to just take all the shortcomings, all the security shortcomings of C++, all the packaging shortcomings of C++, um, and just try to improve on them. I think it's a massive improvement, personally. I've, I've never done C++ professionally. Um, I've only tried to, you know, write C++ and inev- inevitably shoot my foot off. <laughs> it's just, just kind of what happens. Um, but it's... Uh, it's definitely still valuable. I mean, Bitcoin Core is not going to switch over to anything else in anytime soon. Like maybe in 10, 15 years, like they'll start thinking about doing something else. You know, maybe even that's like a long time. Uh, but for the meantime, it's it's really just going to have to be C++. So, and, and like all the big companies, like they're, they're all hiring C++ devs still. It's just that it's hard because you're, you're typically competing with people who are like, you know, really experienced and highly effective. And so, you know, as a hiring manager, like those decisions are tough because, you know, you want to be able to like hire young people so that you keep the pipeline of talent going. But at the same time, it's like, you know, you need to get the job done. Like, are you going to be able to train this person? So, uh, yeah, C++ is still is still definitely out there that we have there are really talented people out there working in Bitcoin and C++ still uh very grateful for them. Uh but it's pretty clear that it's still there's still a ton of demand for that. So I'm I'm really glad about the OpenSats initiative. Uh I, I would say anyone that has like a project that they think is valuable specifically around dev tooling. Uh that is really something that Bitcoin doesn't have the best and dev tooling you just mean you mean like uh creating apps and softwares that have a good ui for for people to be able to use to bitcoin make, to make bitcoin apps with yeah because you know the whole process of making an app like you you're like like for example being able to visualize your transaction graphically uh, as you're experimenting with it, you know, you can just read the, the, the raw transaction and that's fine. Uh, and, and, you know, if you like focus on that, 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 that's great. But a lot of people there, it's just more intuitive to see that visually. Mm-hmm. So they're just going to be more inclined to just get the job done faster if they're able to not spend so much time trying to decode all these symbols you know, in their head and just have like the computer do it for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it can help with like debugging, you know, there's just like a lot of stuff, uh, that, that is really, in my opinion, is still kind of missing. 
Devel- developers aren't designers. Developers aren't designers, and developers usually just do things for themselves anyways. Um, you know, it's not because, like, they're selfish. It's just because what they want doesn't exist, and they just want to make it, and they just do it, and then, like, you know, they'll, they'll put it out there on GitHub. But then once they're done, they'll just leave it there, you know, and, like, a lot of those tools, like, if they were just a little bit more general, you know, like, a slightly better UI, slightly better packaging, uh, you know, for like all the different platforms, it, it would be a lot more useful to more people. So that's definitely still needed. Uh, I do have a project myself called PSBT++ that I still have to carve out time to work on. I might apply for, for, for an open SAS grant for that. And that's basically going to be uh, 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 a Bitcoin workbench that will, for example, let you have like multiple wallets open at the same time so that you can do multi-sig experiments or be able to uh, parse out a, a partially signed Bitcoin transaction and then look at the fields, individually edit them, tell you if like, you know, there's there's any kind of error. Um, I'm, I'm, I want to add syntax highlighting. Um, I, I just have to like carve out time and like get it done. Uh, but just like little things like that mm. that are just like all over the place. Um, Go ahead. And I think uh, I think that's like hugely needed. So it, it was really great to see uh, all, all the devs, you know, just working on all their own different things at, at Pluffify. Yeah, no, I think it I think it's what sparks creativity, and this is how you get people interested into a project. Yeah, you have the people who are working really hard on something, and they're so like you said, preoccupied and focused on what moves them, mm-hmm. there is a lot of room for people who are obsessed with their own unique styles and techniques and work. Mm-hmm. And I think there will be people jumping in to make wallets and other sorts of Bitcoin apps, you know, more achievable to where not everyone needs to be able to use this, but you want to get people who understand tech and who are a little bit smarter to yeah. just enjoy the experience that they're working with. Because you need to create that spark for why people are using Bitcoin. Like, no better way to show someone how quickly you can move money than, hey, download Wallet of Satoshi, let me zap you some sats. Yeah, uh, it, I totally agree. What really sort of, like, motivated me to to want to do the PSBT++ was my own problems personally working with PSBTs. And, and what are PSBTs? So PSBT is a uh, file format that you can use. So a file format like, you know, .txt um, or .json if you're a developer, maybe you know that or, or you know, .wordx, right? It's just a file format. Um, and in the file, there's fields to fill in for you to work together with other people to collaboratively finish a transaction. So take it from a partial state to a completed state. This is really useful for multi-sig where you'll have multiple people signing the same transaction. Well, you want to set up the transaction, like who it's going to, how much money, which Bitcoins are you spending, uh, and then add your signature, and then you pass that file over to you to to the other person, and then they sign it. And then if if it's satisf- if it satisfies the spending conditions, you can just uh, convert that to a transaction, 
and then broadcast that. And it's really nice because without that, having wallets interoperate together it is kind of a, a headache. Yeah. And this just really makes it easy. Uh, and it's it's just text. You know, you open it up in a in like a, a text editor, any text editor you want. And then you just see the, the different fields. But there, there's like a lot of them. And um, a lot of it is just like raw binary data, you know. And so I think having like a, a special editor for that would, would be useful. So that's what PSBT plus plus. So partially signed Bitcoin transaction. Yeah. Mm. Well, before we hop into some... Uh, technical stuff, nitty gritty, mm -hmm. which is always the case when I'm speaking with you. <laughs> I did want to highlight a couple moments at Miami that were my favorite. Moment number one, seeing Peter McCormick bribe a bouncer. Oh, you saw that? Yeah. At the at the Club Deuce? Yeah, Club Deuce. It was so <laughs> packed and I think we, we just weren't trying to get in. We were no. going to go to the beach and just yeah. party there. But I saw Peter McCormick come out and just hands the bouncer a fat wad of 100s, like, like not like an enormous amount, but big stack. He gave the dude at least like a grand, maybe 600 bucks. Like it was a good amount of money. And I was just like, what the hell is going on in here where Peter is just, he, Peter knows really well how to do the whole marketing thing and i mean the guy hustles a lot and he he's good at just accepting uh sponsorships yeah and just getting the sponsorships like he's if you look at his uh uh his, his ad read it every week he's just has new because he, he like he's from like a marketing background so right. he knows how to do all of that and quite frankly if you're a good content creator and you understand how to do digital marketing um, you can just print money. Like that's, that's just the truth. It's, it's, you know, especially if you're a likable person. Yeah. And, that's where it starts. And you can, you know, really do these things. Um, it can just work out really well. And it's not just for Bitcoin either. I, I just heard about like this, this fitness trainer, you know, just makes a lot of money, like millions of dollars just cause, you know, she's, she's just good at posting like, uh, uh, fitness videos and stuff, mm -hmm. you know, people really like, she's like from Saudi Arabia or something like that. I don't know. Interesting. Uh, and, uh, it's, it's really, it's really interesting. It's great that, you know, cause it's so open to everyone. Uh, if you have a good idea and you like, you know, you want to put in the effort and the hustle, like if, if it's good content, like people will show up and then advertisers will show up cause they want, they want to get their their uh marketing material in front of eyeballs yeah. so i yeah peter mccormick he just knows how to play that game that's hilarious that you yeah. saw that i did not see that yeah. i wasn't paying attention yeah you were talking with uh with your with your team and oh okay a couple other people who were just outside oh okay maybe alana as well yeah but i happened to catch it out of the corner of my eye i'm always looking and people observing and yeah it's like you're saying you know it was probably a bump in party and peter had to make sure that the house was gonna allow it to continue so yeah. he had to do his diligence uh moment it was it was a bumping yeah period. it was packed i mean if we if we go back to it i probably would have went but it was like you're saying like just being packed waiting two hours to get in to stand around where people are smoking cigarettes inside a building yeah we, we showed up late that was that was the issue yeah classic us yeah uh moment number two you were with me 
was when we ran into Eric Weinstein. Oh my God. That was just one of the most geeked experiences <laughs> of my life. Eric <laughs> Weinstein. And he and he just looks at us and he's like, "You guys are strange." Yeah. And we're like, "Well, we are strange." <laughs> Anyways, come check out this echo in this room that we found. <laughs> and he just starts singing like opera, like, "What did he sing?" Song? No, no. He he just started vocalizing, and then he goes, "I love harmonic resonant frequencies." <laughs> And because it was the echo, it was, it was like this orange dome next to like this uh, soccer kicking simulator. And he's just like standing there yeah, <laughs> singing, vocalizing. That was that was super funny. I mean, you know, the king is strange. Yeah. He, he blessed us with some strangeness. Yeah. yeah. And then I think moment number three was probably the pizza eating contest. Oh, yeah. I had a lot of fun with that. Oh, that the the meetup the contest was so much yeah. fun. Oh my god, they they need to add, they need to add like way more events to that, and that was just so much fun. It's something you're always talking about. When I come to you with maybe doubts or concerns about something within Bitcoin, or you know how do we get people into Bitcoin, your response is always community events. Oh like yeah, the the meetups that we do are crucial. It's crucial to get people involved. Uh, I don't know if you're, I don't think you were there for Scott's meetup, but I had this guy reach out to me and he's like, this is like months after the meetup. And he's like, thanks for orange pilling me. By the way, how do I make a hardware wallet? And how can I be sure that like, you know, it's airtight and really? no one's going to be able to like trace it, trace it back to me. Yeah. Well, seed signer. Yeah, exactly. I sent out a seed signer and I was like, you're pretty safe buying you know, a Raspberry Pi and some of these components. Mm-hmm. So I do I do appreciate that whole community base. And it was really cool that this year at the conference, they made it uh, a big stage and a, a big part of the conference. Because to be honest, the conference was, was a little dull in a lot of ways if you weren't someone who was interested in Bitcoin and speaking with people. But the community games made it exciting. We yeah. played chess. We built the seed signer. Mm-hmm. And we watched harambe eat a pizza in less than four minutes i after watching him do that to that pizza like it it took me a couple days to get back into like pizza eating mood i swear it was just oof yeah it was that was brutal drinking will will do a lot to you because that night i i faced almost an entire jack's pizza oh yeah yeah it was like at five in the morning i went to (laughs) drop sage off at the airport and oh that same night yeah that's right yeah and edwin's like Yo, I'm about to throw a Jack's pizza and you want one? I was like, sure. Up at like 5.30 a.m. eating pizza after yeah. shoveling my stomach with way too much pizza. Yeah. Earlier. Well, so big. Yeah. Stomach fit two pizzas. Exactly. So yeah, you know, there's, there's all those fun times and it kind of helps relieve some of that stress that you have. Like, you know, am I successful? Am I someone who's creating impact? Am I doing the right thing? Am I helping my business? Am I helping my company? Yeah, and you you do that by by gate. You know, getting feedback from others in person is just it's just so honest. Like even you know you can just tell by their body language if you know the conversation is vibing. If they're excited listening to you talk about what you're doing, and if you know people are doing that, then you're you're generally on the right track. You know, if especially if enough people do it, 
uh, and for sure if the right people do it, you know. But getting that kind of feedback off of Twitter or Telegram or Discord, like, it, it's just tough. So it's just better to do it in person. And honestly, everyone there is just so nice. Like, there, there's, like, this misconception that Bitcoiners are mean, like... Only on the internet. <laughs> yeah, and, like, you know, we can be, you know, when when we have to be. But for the most part, like, everyone's just so nice. Like, they just want to talk. Um, what's nice about the bear market is that the people that are there are there because they, they want to be there. Uh, whereas like during the bull market, like I, I did just keep running like last year, just keep running into, you know, people that were from like adjacent kind of industries, but just kind of, they're checking it out, just testing the waters and yeah, those those people just don't show up. Right. Cause I mean, they're busy. Yeah. It's a bear market for everyone. Yeah. This (laughs) is like, this is the, this is the time for me where I got to meet Blockware and oh yeah the blockware guys yeah yeah blockware guys are cool i got to talk to joe he runs the blockware intelligence podcast and yeah we got to chat it up a bit oh cool so i was happy to see him yeah be happy to connect with other podcasters Mm -hmm. in the sphere Mm -hmm. and yeah i saw some people from river people from swan we got to go to the foreman mansion party that was fun so there was a lot of time to to have real conversations with people who are doing yeah. important work within Bitcoin. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, and, and it's, you know, it's really just about putting yourself out there and just say hi to people like anyone, you know, you're standing next to someone, start chatting it up, you know, just say hi, what's up and just see where it goes. And if it doesn't work out, just move on and do the same thing with someone else. Yeah. Bitcoin has leveled my social skills to a, a whole nother like tier i'm already a very sociable person it's not hard for me to spark a conversation mm-hmm. you know going to a bar or whatever it is it's pretty easy to make friends yeah but it's exactly what you're saying it's it's this mindset where hey we're all here at this place mm-hmm. generally for the same thing mm-hmm. it's kind of rude if i don't turn or turn my shoulder around and yeah introduce myself yeah. and at least it is rude. at least start something. Yeah, it, it is rude. Like the, this is, uh, I think this is uh, it's like an American thing. I think, but you know, just people like being cold and just like not chatting it up. Uh, it's like it, it is rude to just you know be be like someplace and like not talk to someone. Uh, you can at least say hi. Yeah. Uh, but I totally agree with you that the the sense of community that. Bitcoin brings is is really unique because it's weird. Like generally, like you get community from people being together, like uh, physically, you know, like living in the same space. But we're all geographically distributed all over the world, wherever the internet is at. Uh, Bitcoin can reach it, and you know, you still get that sense of like belonging to the same purpose, same sort of like. It's like a movement, you know, it's like, I, I just want to be in control of my own money and I want to be able to decide my own rules and everyone, you know, from all walks of life can relate to that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get all together in, in the same place and you just start you know, getting to know each other. So I totally agree. It's, uh, it's a great, it's a great experience it's like the best long distance relationship you could ever have (laughs) yeah because we all get so excited yeah to see each other when we do yeah like you mentioned earlier and in terms of excitement 
you know, some of the things that people were talking about, the conferences, obviously, mm-hmm. ordinals, yeah, ordinal. lightning, oh, and I kind of want to just jump in starting with ordinals. Ordinals are just ripping up the Bitcoin scene right now because, one, it's it's just, it, ordinals are basically just NFTs on Bitcoin done properly. Um, when you say properly, like? From a technical perspective. The reason, the thing about NFTs is that the um, the most popular uh, the most popular platform for NFTs was OpenSea. Mm-hmm. Apparently, they were doing a hundred million dollars a month in revenue during last year, which is nuts. I don't know how much of that is like wash trading or or whatever. Uh, NFTs is like really easy to wash trade, in. but uh, that's still a lot of money and. The problem with OpenSea is that it's literally just a website. So it's people just like putting money into like a, a business and then just like clicking buttons, which is kind of ridiculous. <laughs> and the way that like NFT and like th- those were like Ethereum based NFTs for the most part. I mean, they were like on other blockchains. Like your board apes. Yeah. And like the Yacht Club and the, the, um, I don't know the names of the <laughs> like the you know the my ladies are are popular now. <laughs> Crypto kitties was a thing for a while. Crypto kitties was separate. It was kind of the same concept, but it was sure. old. Old it was a little bit older. I, I don't know if they they like had a resurgence. Definitely the the ape thing was very popular. Now the my ladies like you you do kind of see them, which is so fun. That's <laughs> a stupid photo, a stupid JPEG, but. No, the thing about uh, NFTs on Ethereum is that the actual JPEG, like the thing you care about, isn't on the Ethereum blockchain. It's on a server somewhere else. Uh, typically IPFS or this other protocol called Arweave from what, from what I've heard. Uh, IPFS is like pretty popular for, for a lot of things. And literally all you, po- all you post on the Ethereum blockchain, like you pay a transaction fee to have your uh, uh, your, your NFT, uh, get written to the Ethereum blockchain, but it's just a URL that points to an IPFS server. And that is where your NFT is. And so if that IPFS server goes down for whatever reason, your JPEG is gone. So kind of just like a, sorry to interrupt, kind of just like a regular image. You know, it, similarly, it's the way that most images are hosted. Most images, like on on like on Reddit, you know, when you click on it, it's just a URL to like a server that is storing that, and that that's how you want to do it actually for the most part because it's really efficient. The thing is that it just sort of begs the question: like, what do you really own? I would say you don't really own anything, uh, but. If you were to take the JPEG itself and write the bytes directly onto a blockchain, and then you have a, a public-private key pair, and you can produce signatures for that, like I would say that's concept of ownership is much more tractable in that sense. And this is what ordinals are doing. This is what ordinals are doing. Uh, the What happened with ordinals is that we got SegWit, and then we got Taproot. And no one really knew that the combination of those two would let a bunch of DGENs uh, write uh, bytes 
more or less indiscriminately to the Bitcoin blockchain because that's that's what's been happening. Uh, this this guy Casey, he's super awesome. Uh, not a degen. Well, actually, he might be, but <laughs> he uh, he figured out this this method called ordinals inscriptions to uh, just write JPEGs in into a Bitcoin transaction. Uh, you know the the specifics of which you know we're not going to get into because we have to get into SegWit and Taproot uh, and and how that all works. But basically, it's just like the best possible way to write a lot of data on Bitcoin. Now, the, the, sorry to interrupt real quick. Going back, the most important part that you had mentioned of this is that this was not the outcome of what small blockers had attended no. when uh, SegWit. Uh, no. became apparent and these ideas were pushed through they the a big thing about bitcoiners is that they really do try to push the envelope as much as they can in terms of efficiency and they they, they will go to great lengths to just try to be as efficient as possible just because when you do that you that means you can share bitcoin with more people because it's a shared resource. So the more efficient you are at using it, that means the more people can use or you can use it more often for, for less money. Uh, so yeah, nobody had, and this is, and it's kind of like a hack, you know, it's just this thing this guy came up with that wasn't really planned at all, but that's actually like how hacks work. You know, like when you, when a company builds like a, a, a service or something, they have like an idea of what they want the service to do, but uh, they don't think about all of the things you can do with it. And this is where hackers come in. It's like, oh, I can get in there without any authentication because of the way that the technology is set up. You know, just just the tech stack is set up. Just something about it, I can exploit it and get unauthorized access. And there, you know, it's kind of like, you know, just, yeah, you just try to hack your way in there. Uh, and, and this is just, this is just how Bitcoin works. You know, you just put stuff out there and then as long as like the, the Bitcoin node, you know, accepts it, like it's still valid. Like you can't really stop people from doing that just cause you can't stop people from mining. Right. Um, but yeah, ordinals, it's, it's really interesting sort of what's that, what, what it's done to the Bitcoin community because one, it's just shown everyone that people really like NFTs. I mean, that's just the truth. Yeah. Um, they, the whole concept of like having a JPEG and show to others that you own it, Mm -hmm. um, is something that is appealing to a lot of people. Definitely more so than owning Bitcoin at this time. Like that's just the truth. Um, but at the same time, people like the ordinals more than they like just sending Bitcoin. Like, there's more people that like ordinals than people that just like sending Bitcoin back and forth. So, and we're all sharing the same block space. Uh, and they've been around. They were just waiting for Bitcoin to be able to do this, essentially. Um, I mean, NFTs on Bitcoin were always possible from the beginning. It's just that it, it was just really hacky and there wasn't a good way to do it easily. Uh, and this sort of goes back to like developer tooling, mm-hmm. you know, like if you want to get people in, you got to make it easy for them. And, and like the easier you make it, the more people you'll get in. So there were a number of ways to do this with 
Opera Turn and with, um, you know, uh, multi-sig wallet, multi-sig addresses where you, you know, you just put your JPEG in the, in the keys, uh, in the, in the, uh, multi-sig public keys, but it just kind of sucked. And now you can, you have like a really nice, clean way to do it. That's just, it's just, it's just straightforward. Yeah. And that's what we, we want in Bitcoin. And that's what they want. So there's just this, yeah, just tons of people outbidding each other to get their transactions into the Bitcoin blockchain. And it's just, uh, it's great for miners because something like $30 million in transaction fees have been just in the past couple months. So anyone that's been mining lately um, has been able to collect that. And so that's, that's great. If that's, if that keeps up, then like that would just, that could just pay for the whole, all of mining, you know? Yeah. So that itself is really interesting. One thing I learned about, uh, ordinals inscriptions is that you can, since you can write like not arbitrary amounts of data, but you can write a good amount of it is, uh, you can write just raw text, uh, uh, just just like text data into the ordinals and then you can like kind of play around with that a lot and so there's this thing called brc20 tokens in which they'll put in uh json of uh, uh, json objects into the inscriptions and then add a an additional layer of software that interprets that data and like you can put commands in there as well and make your own like extra virtual machine that runs on these ordinals and you can like program that and like it's it's stupid but it's really inefficient mm. but people like it um, what do you mean when you say virtual machine so a virtual machine is just like a uh just imagine like a, an extra computer that is living on everybody's bitcoin node that you can give it data and instructions and then it can perform a computation mm. so this could be for example uh find me all the other ordinals in the bitcoin blockchain and then add them up and then return the count or whatever you want mm. uh -huh. the there's already a, the the bitcoin bitcoin itself has its own virtual machine for um evaluating the opcodes and transactions and then like the instructions are like check this public key with um these bitcoins that are being sent and then make sure the signature is valid like that that is all a computation that needs to happen and it, and it happens inside a virtual machine mm. um another great example is the ethereum virtual machine uh again it's the same so Typically, this has been left out, like really, and so the 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 virtual machine that's inside of Bitcoin right now is just really like dead simple, and that's just sort of because we don't want to make it so that people have to run Bitcoin Core on really beefy computers. Sure, you know, and so like the sort of simpler you keep it, the more efficient it'll end up being, and that means you can run the software on low end hardware, and that means you can have more people running the the hardware and that means that it'll be more decentralized because you'll have more people doing the verification 
again, the verification is just like checking the public key, checking the message, checking the signature, and making sure it's all good. Uh, I'm keeping it simple. There's like way more to it than that. Mm. But generally speaking, that that is really what it is. Like, is this person authorized to send these Bitcoin uh, in its binary? Yes or no? Um, but that that's like too simple. And like people want to do more complicated things. Mm. And they want to do it on Bitcoin. So they figured out that they can do this thing now. Mm. What that means, you know, as far as... As far as the future is concerned, well, it means that like running a node is going to get more expensive because there's going to be more data on there. You you don't have to run the ERC the BRC twenty yeah. uh, software to do the the compute. That'll be like its own thing. Mm. But you still have to store those bytes. Thankfully, like the way that like ordinals are done is that it still just sort of like skips over everything. Uh, you know, so like really all things considered, like it is really the best way to go about something like this. It's just kind of annoying if you're used to paying one Satoshi per mm. B-byte in transaction fees and now you have to pay way more. Yeah. Uh, it also sucks for all the other layer two protocols that sort of uh, have implicit in the protocol design the ability to post transactions to the Bitcoin blockchain. Mm. Uh, a good example of this is Lightning. So Lightning is pretty much uh, is this uh, layer two protocol in which you basically make a Bitcoin transaction between two people, and then you keep a tab of like who owns which Bitcoin within this Bitcoin transaction. Because like we'll, we'll both get in there with like. Uh, in a multi-signature address, put one Bitcoin in there, and then we can send that Bitcoin back and forth all we want virtually, mm. like off-chain, without ever touching the Bitcoin blockchain. But if we ever want to get out of this contract, then either one of us needs to post a transaction to close this contract out and return whatever Bitcoins were uh, are owed to us back to our single sig wallet, mm. you know, where it's nice and safe and easy. <laughs> um, but what happens if all these other people are posting all these other transactions and paying like, I mean, so like one Bitcoin is like, you know, $27,000, $26,000 right now. Mm. Um, generally speaking, like the, the fees are low. So like you'd pay like nickel, you know, like back in the day. But now it's like, the, okay, just hypothetically, what if like the transaction fee to get into the Bitcoin, into the next block is uh, $28,000? I mean, I'm exaggerating, but then at that point, like neither you or I can close out this contract and just sort of go back to where we were. So from that perspective, it is problematic. Um, you know, if you don't reserve enough fees to pay for the transaction to get posted, you're kind of stuck. And that's actually what happened to a lot of lightning service providers and a lot of lightning wallets was that they didn't have a good way to sort of account for large changes in transaction fees. There are a number of initiatives that are, you know, they're, they're, they, they always knew that this was going to be the case. Uh, they, I think they were just hoping that they'd have more time. They as in the devs? The lightning devs. Okay. Yeah. They, you know, they were key. They were very aware of this. Um, it's, it's actually a pretty obvious problem. Uh, 
doesn't mean Lightning is broken. It just means that they sort of need to amend the protocol to make it a little more dynamic so that it can adjust to this very rapid change in transaction fees. Mm -hmm. That can be like really problematic, you know, especially if you have a lot of channels and, uh, you know, your, your liquidity is tied up. Um, but the, the security of Lightning, the, the reason why it's secure is because you have the assumption that you can always go back on chain when things go bad. Mm -hmm. But if you can't do that, then it's not, that's not good. That's not yeah. secure. Um, but I'm really, I'm actually very confident that they'll be able to implement those changes and, uh, just improve it in that regard. Well, like, uh, a good thing I wanted to bring up at this point, because you mentioned high transaction fees and at what point will it even be worth it for someone to be able to move on chain, you know, that kind of gets into a little bit of a philosophical question of how, how true is it that this ordinal is yours? How do we, okay, in real life, it's pretty easy for me to say that Civic out there is my car. It's easy for me to have collectibles, you know. It's easy for me to be like, check out my Pokemon cards. You know, I have a lot of things that I collect, mm -hmm. and they have this real physical value. Mm -hmm. I can either use them myself, or I can use them to trade with people, or some mm -hmm. people just like to see it. It's cool. Mm -hmm. Can you talk me a bit through that kind of approach in a digital world yeah. with a digital asset and how is it truly yours yeah and how is it a collectible in that sense no that's a really good question uh it really cuts cuts to the to the heart of it all in my opinion because you know the the ownership of your car out there you know you you have a title for it if i were to take it you could call the cops and be like, here's the title, you know, the, the check the VIN number. It's obviously mine. And, you know, that situation will get fixed. When it comes to, like, these digital collectibles, they're yours up to the degree that other people care about it, honestly. Like, like that JPEG's yours. Yeah, man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, like, yeah, it is yours. If everybody does care about it, then, you know, they care that it's yours. And if no one cares about it, then it's just like a lot of other things, right? It's just like, okay, whatever. Um, so it's, it's yours up to the degree that you can enforce it onto others. You know, there is no digital collectible police that you can go out there. It's all about you know, this community of people that get together and have consensus on what is the, the meaning of ownership in the digital world. And in the most straightforward manner, it, it's, it, is it on the Bitcoin blockchain? Like, can I see it on my node? Can I see the, that signature? Can I see those bytes? Can I see the, that public key on my node? If it is like, yeah, dude, like it, it is yours. Um, and then also like, the hardest part about it is just that, like, there's a social consensus about it, you know, because, like, you can post a JPEG on there and, like, you know, do the, all, pay the transaction fee, you know, make the signature, do, do all that properly. But then I can just, like, copy it and then do the same. And then at that point, like, you know, I would go to, like, the Discord or Twitter and be like, no, now it's actually mine. 
um, if people like me more than they like you, then they'll be like, oh yeah, it's, it's now his, it's not yours anymore. All you have to do is change a couple pixels and then. No, you don't have to do that. Mm, you can literally copy the same image. Byte per byte. Byte per byte. And then just say it's it mine. Different and then if everyone says it's mine, area. then it is mine. And that, that's just how that works. Mm. So it like, it is kind of shitty, you know, um, because there's nothing to do about there's nothing to do about that enforcement of this social consensus. You just have to get people to like you e- enough to accept your claim of ownership. Mm. And uh, to me, that's a little unsatisfying. You know, with with a Bitcoin, like you can't steal that UTXO. Yeah, because you need the public, you need the private key for that. There's no private key for a JPEG. Like there's a private key for the signature, but it's not inherently like tied to anything underlying. Like the bitcoins that were produced are they're tied to proof of work, you know. And I can like show the chain of like where the bitcoin got produced, but the JPEG is just like whatever, you know. Um, so from that, that's I think a big reason why a lot of people just don't really like vibe with the whole yeah. NFT thing like they don't it doesn't really like make them happy you know like this concept of saying this digital collectible is yours when I can just uh, right click and save you know right click and copy it uh, infinitely Um, but at the same time like I do understand the whole concept of like you know like uh, like the my ladies for example a lot of people use them as avatars sure Um, like that probably makes sense I guess uh yeah. Well, yeah, from a from an artist's perspective, it can be a little bit discouraging. Very discouraging. Because you put in all this work and you want to move forward on something that you find futuristic, something that you think is going to return to you, when it turns out that it's actually even easier in this digital community to just rip, rip what you. someone else is doing. And that's kind of like, from my experience of working on Twitter, you know, I think there is a little bit of like a, a nice uh, bow that you can wrap with it is creativity is always about copying. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's people who blatantly copy and like you said, you hope that their reputation is kind of ousted. If you're a blatant copier, you're probably going to be known as a blatant copier and that's kind of how it goes on the internet with making memes and creating culture. So in that sense... You know, if you're doing good art and you're doing good work, mm-hmm. it's kind of just inevitable that people are going to steal from that if it's creative, if it works, and if people respond to it. Uh, you know, the the key sort of, I think the, the reason why NFTs can work, though, is because they do create a sense of community. And really, you're, you're like buying into a community when you get into the nft space and you like you buy an nft and you you do have to play by the community's rules or you can start your own but that you know that has its own problems but that's i think really why people get into it like they want to belong to something and when you get into nfts um there's just there's community like they all run on on uh online communities yeah you know and like at that point, like everybody knows, like who's who, like which avatars own which NFTs, mm-hmm. you know, 
and they respect that. Mm-hmm. Like for them, that's important. And they, they can't, ch- like there are technical things that they can do to like check that it is actually yours, you know, because it's very obvious if I copy your JPEG and make my own ordinal with it. Like it is a totally separate ordinal mm-hmm. and like software can very easily distinguish from that. And, so a, and time in general. Yeah, I mean, it goes up later, right? Exactly. It will be at a later time so you can always, but that's not always, like maybe you just didn't post it quickly sure. enough. Uh, so it, it really is just about the social consensus um, and like, do you want to belong to that community? Then you play by the rules. If you don't, then start your own. So I think that's really what, what, what it's about for, for a lot of people at the same time, you know, the whole concept of like, you know, royalties, even though that never really came into fruition, um, uh, that that's kind of interesting, right? Like you make digital art and then every time it gets sold, you get a cut like that. That makes sense to me. Um, again, it's just like how to implement that, um, Probably see something with BRC20s mm-hmm. implementing something like that. Some kind of a universality of it. Yeah, just like some way to, you know, every time the art gets moved that you get like a copy of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get a, like a share of that uh, of that sale. Songs too. Without, yeah, but, but without sort of intervening, you know, so you just have a wallet and like money just keeps showing up. It's not a Spotify check. It's not. Yeah, because... The, the thing is, you, or whatever. you want it to be that way because you're not going to be able to intervene anyways if they're just going about and copying your digital media. You're not going to be able to, like, enforce them to, like, pay you. So, like, you do want a system that just sort of handles that in as trust-minimized fashion as possible. And that, you know, that's sort of the dream uh, you know, that a lot of people are, are going for. And if, you know, they, that can be accomplished on the Bitcoin blockchain, I think it can be, then um, maybe not directly on the Bitcoin blockchain, but uh, maybe on Fediman, you know, we can talk about that later. But yeah, I mean, the the whole Ordinals thing is, is great because it just, it just brings in a whole new swath of people into the community. Most of them are DGENs, but like, you know, still, uh, it, it's great that they're, they're, they're coming by. Yeah, and I think that... Higher transaction fees for miners, especially in the time that we're in right now, mm-hmm. where you know we're we're getting to a better point. I think it's it's pretty profitable to mine Bitcoin again mm-hmm. uh, if you have a good you know uh, source of electricity at a good rate. Mm-hmm. It also puts you in this position where it's it's kind of like injecting a stimulus in a way. Like it's, oh, yeah. it, here's more money for you guys to run these really expansive you know, financially expensive operations. Mm -hmm. And here's a way for you to get a little bit more out of it, which means that you can scale and it means that you can plug in more machines, Mm -hmm. which means hash rate goes up, which Mm -hmm. means hopefully Bitcoin is more secure. Mm -hmm. So it is, it is kind of in, in that sense, the hype and just like all these people screaming and shouting is actually helping those who play the game mm-hmm. that is Bitcoin mining. Yeah. Uh, that's definitely very encouraging to see uh, that miners don't just have to rely on the block subsidy to be able to pay their bills. And ordinals are just the beginning. 
if we keep coming, like lightning was supposed to do this as well. Just sort of has like a reverse effect of like, you know, wanting to stay off chain as much as possible. But like, you still want to like settle the channels and open and close the, the lightning channel contracts. Mm. Um, but th there's going to be other projects as well. So like really anything that increases demand for block space mm -hmm. is just beneficial for the overall security of the network because mm -hmm. then it, it increases the incentive and that means that you'll be able to add incentive for people to want to mine, hopefully in geographically distributed fashion mm -hmm. and with, uh, you know, a variety setups, you know, that aren't all totally the same. And, you know, if that's the case, then yeah, it, it just gets that much harder to, to, um, to kill Bitcoin. Yes. Yeah. Kind of the whole point. Yeah. And less, less of a focus on the Maras and the riots and more yeah. of an opportunity for countries to invest and create these opportunities yeah. for their people. Yeah. Or just, you know, just, uh, I saw a great video of this guy in Guatemala using, uh, vegetable oil to run, uh, a diesel engine generator or something like that and mining Bitcoin with it, you know, like they just take the waste oil, just, just burn it right there and use it to, to power the miner and like probably really good money for him, you know, uh, just get an S9. Like it's not a lot of money in here in the U S but for someone like them, uh, you know, especially if he's able to keep it running and now with this sh shortfall of ordinals, like that would be, uh, that would be, yeah, that'd be great for him. There's people like that all over the world, you know, I mean, yeah. even in the U S not to mention less seed oils being injected yeah. by humans, yeah. Yeah. given to the machines. I mean, the, they don't get inflamed. Put the, yeah, <laughs> put the seed oils where they belong in an engine. Not in your body. <laughs> uh, you're, you're talking about lightning and kind of getting into some of, uh, not the flaws, but the concerns of lightning and how shortcomings. shortcomings and ordinals kind of put us in this position where, oh snap, you know, like Segwit was what released in 2017. Mm -hmm. So it's been six years and the adept, the adoption of lightning is not where we thought it'd be, but I feel like ordinals has opened up the conversation, um, listening to you know, uh, Tales from the Crypt and other good podcasts. A lot of people in Bitcoin excited about ordinals, specifically because now they are able to highlight all the work that's being done in Lightning and now have, like you said, more of that reason to fix these shortcomings or get to work on them. So, I mean, two things I want to address. Like, mm -hmm. one, the reason why Lightning hasn't really taken off is because using uh, a using a system of value where the unit has like a floating exchange rate is still really hard for people to cope with. Uh, you know, if you're like, if you make like pies, for example, and every month you make a hundred pies, you know, you have to buy, you know, like 50 pounds of apples or whatever. And you know, like the price of that is like pretty stable, you know, for the flour and the sugar and the butter and the apples but you get paid for the pies in Bitcoin. What happens where, when the price dips down and you still need to buy those items for some, you know, like 
uh, for someone that like actually like is selling goods, like hedging the price volatility is really difficult. So whether that's lightning or, or anything else, you know, even if it were the, the most advanced and, um, you know, feature rich payment system, generalized payment system possible, you know, that can handle all volumes, all speeds, you know, uh, it would still not be good enough because of that. Now, I mean, you get, you get around that with, you know, hedging the price of Bitcoin. That also is expensive. Like that's hard. You, um, it, so the price is volatile. So I, I would say that the lack of adoption, first, the lack of adoption isn't really concerning. Uh, it's, it's still good that there's not that many people on lightning because with these decentralized protocols, if they get adopted really quickly before they get fully developed, yeah. you run into a lot of issues because then like you want to update those things later on, but whatever update you put out there, you got to make sure it's incentive compatible with the people that are already running it. And if, you know, someone, if someone has just sunk, you know, $10 million into a business, uh, you know, for all the dev work and like all, all the accounting and, uh, you know, operation, uh, operations for the business. If there's like a big change to the protocol because they weren't able to develop it quickly enough, like they're just going to be hesitant to upgrade. And now you get, um, you get the, the network to split, you know, like one version, one side of the network is running an upgraded version of the protocol. And uh, another part of the network is running on an older version. That's a bad place to be in. That's how a lot of the internet works, actually. <laughs> uh, a lot of analogs to that, but, you know, so I would say that's actually kind of a good thing. I'm very happy with how Lightning performs. Um, I, I, I think it's still great. I think there's a lot of great apps mm. and uh, a lot of amazing developers working on, on cool things. Mm. Um, but really, it, it comes down to, yeah, hedging price volatility and then having like, you know, tur TurboTax and uh, QuickBooks um, work with Bitcoin and take all of that into, into the accounting, you know, like business owners aren't accountants, like they need the software to make their lives possible. Uh, and that's why like, but that, that's the case for lightning is like, once you start getting into lightning, then it's like, okay, now you have a way to balance your books. You're just saying you need the software now. We just need the software that interfaces with fiat because these business owners, you know, unless they're um, in, a, in another country that doesn't really have these kinds of laws or they're doing it illegally, um, you know, business owners need the software to be compliant. Uh, you know, they're trying to run their business. They're not trying to get sued or, uh, you know, face a fine that puts them out of business. So this is more of like... It's easy for you and I to send 50 sats, 100 sats to each other. Yeah. It's harder for us to then tomorrow create a business using Bitcoin that's regulatory approved. That is just, that is, it's it's not just, you can do it in, in a way that's regulatory approved. It's just so much work and it's a total headache. And you see this, like, I, you know, if you ever talk to like a small business owner and you like talk to them about Bitcoin, like it's not going to work because they, they're not programmers and the software that they're using doesn't take into account the individual transactions. 
Uh, so they have to get kind of smart about how they do it. There, there are already like ways to go about it and stuff. Like I think Strike is a great example. Yeah. You know, you just set up a Strike wallet. It's custodial. It's too bad. Again, sort of like that's sort of like the downside of it is that if you do want these like super easy solutions, you do have to give up something. Like it's either your time or the security. Mm. So, uh, but they 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 really do need these like fully integrated solutions. Uh, and also like, it's kind of like a chicken and the egg, you know, like there's no demand because there's no businesses, there's no businesses because there's no demand. Um, you know, except for the odd person, usually me, that just comes in and, you know, asks them to take Bitcoin. <laughs> but like, it, it, uh, you know, that, that's just how anything like this would unfold. Like this, it's not about the technology. It's not about the protocol. There's tons of other protocols out there that uh, are technically like better suited, but then you run into like liquidity issues and uh, security issues. Yeah. So like, it, it really is just like a tough problem to solve. Mm-hmm. Like um, the dollar is where it's at because of a lot of happy accidents, you know, it, it really all just fell into place. Um, it, it is what it is. Um, I personally think lightning will allow people to make pay for things that they previously weren't able to. And I think a really good example of this are all the AI apps that are out there where it's usually like just entrepreneurs in Southeast Asia that, uh, know how to cater to the American market. Mm. They can get a, they can get a bank account, but they want to, uh, they can only use Stripe. Like a lot of them just use, uh, Stripe payment links. Stripe is great by the way. Uh, but the downside is that you're using credit cards and credit cards first, they have their own host of issues because they're credit cards. Uh, they're from like a long time ago. They've gotten better. Uh, with Apple pay, it's, it's actually really good. But, um, they have to charge a monthly fee usually. Like it's usually like a subscription based service. This is how like a lot of SaaS software as a service companies are made. And that's like not always what you want. Uh, like I don't, I don't want to like put in my credit card and pay 15 bucks just to use a service. And in a really good example of this is the AI companies because the AI companies can't just sell you, um, can't just give you a free trial for their apps because they have to burn serious energy and use a lot of compute resources to make your special AI JPEG. I'm talking like, like mid journey Mm -hmm. type apps where you like hype in something or you describe something and then it generates the, the image for you. That situation, like sometimes it, like it is, you know, uh, like I've had it happen before where I just want to make like one image. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to be subscribed to this thing for a whole year. Uh, I just need one image and I'd really just rather pay like two bucks. But if you just charge me two bucks with credit card, there is the fixed fee and then there's a variable fee. It's usually the fixed fee that ends up killing you where, you know, two bucks minus the fixed fee doesn't really cover all your bills for, uh, 
paying for the the GPUs. Mm-hmm. If you had Lightning, you'd be able to keep all pretty much like ninety nine point nine percent of those two dollars, and it would be enough to let you uh, do that. Mm. So, um, I think they will uh, switch eventually. I think that demand, especially as AI apps get more and more uh, specialized. Personally, I think in the future, a lot of like uh, high quality uh, LLMs and like machine learning algorithms are probably like the really good ones are probably going to get outlawed and those are going to be the ones you want to use and you're probably going to want to you you know pay for them with lightning uh, right so where lightning I, th- I think has its advantages is it's it's multi-layered as the person who is doing the business and the person who is the consumer you know you if you can avoid ways of punching in your you know bank information card information if you can avoid ways of putting in your personal information and email, you know, there's less of this uh, spam attack on you and your information as a consumer. And if you're a business owner, you're saying that there's less people skimming, you know, the fat from the earnings that you should be getting, which are going to fund your extremely expensive a computer that is generating millions of images based on humans telling it to. Yeah, no, totally. And I mean, the, the they take those, they, they, you know, you're kind of saying in a derogatory manner, but, you know, MasterCard, Visa, you know, the, the payment processors, they all provide a service. You know, they, they, there's a number of other, you know, services that they offer, like fraud protection and whatnot. That can be beneficial. There's ways to do that with Lightning as well. Uh, so, well, we're, I'm still very bullish on it. Yeah. Uh, I, all of the sort of planned work that's out there, I think is phenomenal. Uh, things like splicing, things like uh, blinded routes, things like uh, mutiny wallets. Uh, I, I know that that's for that. I think I'm doing a fantastic job. And it's, it's, just going to keep getting better. So people that are sleeping on it, usually it's some people, pe- people that talk shit about lightning are people that want you to use their token instead. Well, which is like, we're always really funny. It's like, Oh, you want me to buy your thing instead? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I wonder why you feel this way. Right. Uh, and I think it's, it's, it's just going to take time. You know, these things are really complicated. Uh, People have like very ridiculous expectations about how these things unfold. You know, it's yeah. it's really like really slow. It, it usually always is. It's the Louis C.K. airplane skit. Do you know that one? No, I don't think so. He talks about the first time he experienced Wi-Fi on an airplane, and it was like this promotional uh, service from American Airlines on this flight, and they get up in the sky. And everyone starts complaining because the Wi-Fi isn't working. Mm-hmm. And he's like, could you just take a second <laughs> and think about this? Like, we're in the sky using internet. We've never been able to do this. And your first and instant reaction is to be upset. Oh, why isn't this working? Why isn't this working? It's, yeah. It's it's totally, I feel like, one of those uh, scenarios. It is. Uh People have like pretty ridiculous expectations most of the time about mm. uh, just how how hard something is. Like you know, they'll think it's just easy. 
the, the reason why they think it's easy is because people do a really good job at abstracting away all the complexities. You know, like the internet, like you, you just plug in a box and you type in stuff on your laptop and you're off to the races. A lot of work went into that. A lot of money went into that to making it that simple. Like it used to not be that simple, right? For, for a very long time. Um, so, uh, yeah, a lot of it is, is just people's expectations. A, a lot of ADD. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just be patient. So it's more like, it's, it's more like ordinals are symbolic. They, they didn't necessarily make lightning better in the sense like, you know, ordinals came out, not all these new LN apps exist and, mm-hmm. you know, and all these tweaks to this already existing lightning software. It's mm-hmm. more just because ordinals created this you know problem of bloated you know expensive blocks Mm -hmm. it's giving more of a reason to then turn to lightning and kind of see why it's it's ingenuity is important yes it the fee pressure definitely made people realize that yeah just using on chain for everything is like not really that great of an idea but moreover it it stress tested all of these businesses and projects that were kind of coasting along, just hoping that the fees wouldn't go up. And then they went up really fast and they were all caught off guard because, uh, like I was saying earlier, lightning right now doesn't have a a good way to dynamically adjust for, uh, uh, really fast changes in, in fees in transaction fees. And so you know, there's been works, you know, they're, they're, you know, trying to think about what the best way to do it. The, the, the design space is really large for something like this. And, you know, they really do want to pick the best solution, all things considered. And, you know, when you, when you add all things considered is you got to think about everybody using it and like, how do you take everyone's considerations into account? Uh, and so it's, it's hard. So, but finally the ordinal praise pushed people to really like prioritize this and that's a good thing because like fees are coming back down a little bit um you know it was like a hype kind of mania i don't think it's over but definitely let the lightning community realize okay we really do need to like get anchor outputs and package relay and uh you know all all these other proposals into uh you know actually implement them and, and distribute them so it's, it's, I, I think it's just a positive, like it's too bad, you know, kind of makes everyone look kind of like they weren't prepared for it and they were, but they really weren't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now they, they, they really understand that it, it is, it is a priority. So I, uh, I, yeah, and I, I think it's, I think it's fine. Um, I don't see how else it could have happened. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of the nature of. Bitcoin and where we are and how we navigate because we don't have an authoritative, strong ruler who is saying this is how it's going to go now. Yeah, you know, you don't have a choice. We're going this way. You have to, you have to get the devs to buy into this, and you have to get their gears turning, and you have to nerd snipe. As you would say, yeah, you have to pull in people who are willing to try to expose and make it better through that, you know, exposition 
So I'm with you. It has to come through this natural, pragmatic sense of this happened, so how do we react to it? Yeah. And that's the fascinating part of Bitcoin for me as someone who comes from a historical background is you have less of this, the king said this, and then, you know, the the Muslim empire said that, and then, you know, Palestine became this. It's like less of that, and it's more of, well, you can you can follow the conversations, the public discourse. You can see, you know, the smartest, brightest people within the projects mm-hmm. all sharing, observing together. And yeah, sometimes it takes a volcano erupting for people to realize, well, maybe we shouldn't build the village so close to it. You know, like stop signs get put up after there's an accident. It's just kind of how it is. Like laws get made after people get hurt. You know, that's sort of like the whole point. No one, no one goes through trouble. I mean, some people do actually, but, um, you know, usually, you know, it was laws were put in place like seatbelt laws, you know, cause like people just kept dying in car crashes. Uh, so it sometimes just takes bad things to, uh, sometimes it just takes something bad to happen for mm. people to realize, Hey, we're doing things wrong. Let's, let's fix it up a bit. But okay, go ahead. Overall, um, I think Lightning is is still fantastic. I I didn't have any failures when I was using it. Uh, I think the the people that were really kind of in a bad position were the Lightning service providers and the routing nodes, the people with a lot of money on a Lightning node. People just using Wallet Satoshi, I use Phoenix Wallet, um, were fine. Moon Wallet users, I did hear that they did have problems, but that's because Moon Wallet users um, use uh, zero conf. And zero conf means that like you're just taking a transaction and then assuming that it's just going to get put in the Bitcoin blockchain. And then if you assume that's true and it does happen, like it's fine, you can just trust that it's going to happen. But if the fees are super high and the fee pressure just keeps going up and up and up, that zero conf transaction is never going to get in. So that assumption is broken mm-hmm. and which kind of destroys the whole premise of the wallet, a moon wallet. So those people were having uh, an issue and it's really only like a topic of discussion because so many people use moon wallet because mm-hmm. it's just really heavily shilled. The UX is great. Uh, yeah. um, it's a little expensive in my opinion. Yeah. But what do you call it? Especially uh, on-chain. Remove. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, it, it is what it is. I'm still, yeah, I, I just um, looked over the splicing proposal and, you know, have just seen where, you know, where they're at. And it looks like they're in a really good place. So we're we're going to get splicing, like, very soon. It's, uh, this, is, this is really encouraging. Splicing is when you take a lightning channel and you splice in more Bitcoin into it or out of it without making a whole new channel. So it's like a top-up sure. or a you know, yeah, like a topping up mechanism. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can do a lot of cool things with that, especially around privacy. So it's, yeah, it's really encouraging. So I think, uh, I think there's no reason, like if you have a good idea for, for lighting or you want to get into it, like it's still a really good time to get into it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you know, there's, there's businesses that are coming out that are, it's just, yeah, it's just really encouraging. So, but 
another development that came out um, recently was the ARC protocol. So this was uh, dubbed TBD XXX, you know, to be decided uh, for for some time. This developer, he's not really even a developer. He's more of he's more of like a Bitcoin wizard. Like he's you know someone who just like makes something out of nothing, um, which which is like really impressive, uh, you know, to be able to command that level of mastery all of Bitcoin and come up with like new primitives altogether. Like that, that's really, really hard to do. So, uh, yeah, it's this Bitcoin wizard name is Burak. Uh, he's from Turkey and basically made this like new way to help liquidity on the Bitcoin now and uh, on the Lightning now. And it's just a really interesting proposal. Uh, he's he's done some like really cool things in the past. So I'm, I'm actually really bullish on him getting this done. Uh, there's no code. So at this point, it's just like a fancy PowerPoint. Um, but it looks like it could be really beneficial. So, you know, there's all kinds of, and this is sort of like an auxiliary protocol mm -hmm. that would run alongside Lightning. Just to sort of smooth over some of the rough edges, particularly around privacy and liquidity, which are a really, like privacy is like actually quite good on Lightning. Yeah. Um, but liquidity management is still really kind of pain. Uh, like, that is one thing I think would have been better by now and there are some ways to make it good but um it's still like not that easy mm. uh and it really it, it does actually need to be a lot easier and mm. fully automated so but but that's a hard problem so like thankfully you know we have guys like Burak come in and uh literally invent like entirely new primitives to to help us deal with these issues so yeah, overall, I think Lightning is in a great place. I'm not really worried about it at all. Mm -hmm. Like, the community's awesome. You know, Plabnet is still going really strong. Um, really, all the FUD you see is just people that don't want it to be successful. Uh, do I think it's going to be, like, the general end-all, be-all for payment solutions? Um, I mean, I don't think all payments are going to go through Lightning. Mm. Um but I do think a lot of them will. And for for things like buying NFTs, for things like buying compute time, uh, I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, especially as, you know, the price of Bitcoin relative to whatever fiat, you know, increases more and more and sats become the nature of how you're paying for things. Well, that's the best part about Lightning yeah. is that if you just have like a one Bitcoin channel, like right now it's, you know, like when Lightning came out, Bitcoin was like around like 10K or something like that. So people were just putting up like, you know, multi-Bitcoin Lightning nodes and then the price just shoots up and all of a sudden you have like a million dollars on a server. <laughs> and, uh, you know, where, where the keys are hot um, and... Uh, like it's good because it means that the liquidity gets better because you need to use fewer sats to buy things with. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's like it, it gets out of hand really quickly, you know, because maybe for a million dollars, like it is worth it for someone to try to hack you. 
you know? Uh, so thankfully, like all you have to do is just close down channels, mm-hmm. you know, but, but you know, that, that also brings us difficulties. This is where splicing mm-hmm. would come in. You know, it's like you have a one Bitcoin channel, Bitcoin goes up a lot. You can just trim out some of those Bitcoin and make the channel smaller, you know, maybe 0.7 or 0.5 Bitcoin. A little less riskier than. Yeah. Cause you don't want that much money. I mean, you can't like at, at every price point at every like amount of value you're having in your lightning node, you have to do different things. And there, you get to a point where it's just like way too much work, you know, and, and, and like setting it up, like technologically, like it, mitigating some of those risks, it's just too hard, you know, like having, yeah, like several million dollars on a, a server like that, making sure that doesn't get taken from you. That's pretty hard actually. Um, so, you know, lightning is like, it, it is, it is hard to like take down that software and like steal the keys, but I don't think it's impossible. I haven't heard of anyone have that happen to them. Um, not sure if I would, if it did. But, I, I, yeah, I don't think it's, I don't think it's been the case, but, but that doesn't mean that it can't happen. So, uh, and again, it's all just about understanding what your risk is and mitigating those issues. So, yeah. Yeah. One cool thing with lightning from my perspective, using a, you know, using lightning wallets for the last couple of years now between friends it's been a really easy way to really easy. transact for food, you know, or whatever it is, back and forth. Yeah. No one's spending crazy amounts of money. We just have a little bit in our lightning wallets and we can, you know, pay for things. It's better than each other. It's better than Venmo. It is. It's because you have, uh, one, it's, it's like way more private. <laughs> Venmo, I didn't know for the longest time that all of, the transactions are public by default. Yeah. Which is fine. Like I, I'm, I was just like buying, like paying friends back and stuff for like drinks and, or food and, or and tickets and whatnot. But, um, I just didn't know that it was totally public, mm-hmm. you know? And like, I would put jokes in there. <laughs> in the description. It's like, I thought it was just between you and I, mm-hmm. uh, but no, it turns out it's like everyone can see it. Um, so from that perspective, it's, and I know you can turn it off, but um, but it's it's like you know when you go to Bitcoin Miami, like people come in internationally, they don't have Venmo, they don't, but they can ha- get a Lightning wallet. Mm-hmm. So paying people through that is just so much, uh, just I it, it's just so much more convenient because uh, you don't have to think about all of that. Yeah. So no, and, and from that point if it works then that's great and i think we've successfully used lightning wallets and i've been able to transact on the spot mm-hmm. i've been able to show people it people mm-hmm. have been super impressed they didn't even know you could do this within bitcoin mm-hmm. and more importantly i've been able to move it on chain mm-hmm. you know once once you build up too much in the lightning wallets you know i've never had issues losing any Bitcoin, moving it on-chain, moving it to cold storage. It's easy. So, you know, it is It is more, uh, it's not futuristic, it's more modern, it's here now. And, dude, yeah, I'm super excited. 
about it, about its future, you know, like, like you said, I don't have time to, to hear about people who wanted not to succeed. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of great projects that are happening using lightning Mm -hmm. and you have been able to work on one of those projects. Yeah. And I, I want to bring it back to our first episode back in January. Yep. I felt like you were at a point where you were, you know, you were grinding and working really hard on all of these things and not getting paid for anything. And on top of that, everything with DLI was going south. So it's not like it was, it's not like you didn't have a stressful experience, yet you dedicated so much of your time to just work on an open source project that was Fediment. Mm-hmm. And I remember asking you, you know, what is your goal for 2023? Mm-hmm. And it was to become a Rust engineer. Yep. And, <laughs> you know, post your work with Fediment, that almost happened immediately. So yeah, I, know. I just want the audience to know that <laughs> Matthias achieved his one-year goal in, I think, about three months, I'd say. Yeah. So if you <laughs> could uh, explain a little bit about what you did uh, on Fediment, yeah. uh, the hackathon, yeah. and kind of, yeah, how how it's how it opened doors for you no i mean this is just the magic of the internet and open source software development uh it's it's challenging to break into software development uh you know you either go the traditional route where you like study university and then you you know you get an internship and then you get a job or you know you just you know get get a job and you and something like that. I'm talking about like working for like a like a big company or something like that. Um, it, it can be hard and it's also volatile. Um, so I, I do think, you know, working for yourself and like figuring out how to like, you know, m- manage your own personal business is, is super valuable. Um, it's, it's way more fun. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't have an alarm clock. You know, I, I wake up at around roughly the same, like around seven each morning. Um, over time, you, your body will just get adjusted to it. But like, I don't have to wake up early for any. Um, I, I would if I had to, but I don't have to. And like, I, I used to do it actually. Uh, but I was able to just level up my own skills in uh, Rust software engineering just by contributing to open source. You know, and that's sort of like the best you know, it, it's just so liberating knowing that I, I don't really have to ask anyone for permission. You know, like I, I really just wanted to do this thing because I, I thought it was awesome. Uh, I thought Fediment was just, I, I think Fediment is just an amazing project and we'll, we'll circle back around to yeah, that. Totally. But, uh, basically you, you know, you just, you make a GitHub account, you go on the discord and you download the project and you just start reading the docs and you, you start getting it to work. And if something doesn't work, you, you ask for help and everyone on there, they will go out of their way to make sure that you have what you need. And, um, again, that's just part of it, it being like an awesome community. Not all communities are like this. So you really do got to find the good ones, but Fediment is one of those. So basically what happened is this company called Fetty, which is sponsoring the development of Fet- the Fediment protocol. Fediment is a protocol similar to Lightning Network, similar to Bitcoin. Um, and we'll get back, 
when I circle back to it, explain what Fediment is. But uh, Fediment was hosting this hackathon because they wanted developers to build on top of Fediment and make uh, apps for it. So my idea for it was, uh, and then I guess if I don't explain what Fediment is, it's not going to make sense. But yeah, we can so, explain Fediment first. So let's explain Fediment first. Yeah. So then Fediment is uh, uh, a concatenation of uh, federated Chaumian mints. So it, it, three words, yeah, break it down. Let's get a little bit in the layman's terms. Yeah. So um, a mint is uh, like a bank. They they mint uh, coins. You know, back in the day, that's you know sort of what they what they were. Um, uh, Chaumian. Okay. A Chaumian mint is a mint that produces Chaumian eCash. Chaumian eCash is was the world's first cryptocurrency, and it was invented by this fellow named David Chaum in the 80s. I think he was working at Stanford or something like that. Um, and it was a really interesting protocol because it allowed people to transfer value over the internet in a secure fashion, but also in a very private manner without really having to do anything. And that's sort of why the Chaumian eCash is so interesting because you just get excellent privacy out of the box without having like crazy protocols or like crazy cryptography. Like it's actually like pretty tractable, like what you have to do. Um, yeah, it's pretty straightforward uh, as far as these things are concerned. Like definitely, you know, if you compare it to Monero, if you compare it to like Bitcoin privacy on chain, if you compare it to Zcash, um, you know, Mimble Wimble, there's a bunch of other, you know, initiatives as well. Those all use like really fancy photography and like, you know, hacks and tricks to sort of give you privacy, but it's hard to understand. And that's not a good position to be in with privacy. Like, you know, when you're dealing, uh, with your financial transactions, like you want to have a good degree of assurance that, your transactions are confidential and that no one can peer into them. But if you don't really know how the thing works, you kind of either have to trust somebody else or just sort of take a leap of faith. And like the more complicated the protocol becomes, the sort of more likely it is that you're going to get egg on your face, you know, thinking that you were doing a private transaction and then it actually wasn't. Um, and so that's, fine for the people that are in the know because they know what works and what doesn't but that's not so great because like everyone should be able to use this technology so having it be really simple it is i think very important mm -hmm. so and that's what that's what eCash. that's what eCash is the downside is that it's totally centralized so a little backstory David Chaum events this protocol. He puts out the white paper. I recommend anyone that's interested to go read it. It's, it's actually, like, it's pretty short um, and uh, well-written. Uh, and he then uh, wants to turn it into, like, a real product, so a bank. And the idea was you start a bank, you have a pool of, let's say, dollars, and then you issue these e-cash tokens out to the depositors of those dollars into that bank. Those people can now transact freely in between them using eCash. So already, and then you could like, you know, 
charge them or something, and then you have a viable business. The downside of this is that this is not was was not at the time sanctioned by any government, and so they couldn't possibly allow this. And so what did they do? They just squished them. You know, it just you can't do this. Okay. Um, they tried to get a couple businesses up and running. I think in the '90s with this, there was some success. There was a little bit more success in Europe, specifically in Switzerland, just because the laws are a little bit different. But still, not nothing really took off. A really interesting fact about Xiaomi Cash is that it almost made its way into Windows uh, 98, I think it was. Uh, Windows 98 or Windows 2000. Um, Microsoft at the time was making a really big push to get everybody on the internet. And they realized, hey, this thing can be used for commerce, but you know, you just show pictures of things and then you can buy them and have it shipped to your house. Mm. But you still need a way to pay for it. And there's not, like in the 90s, it wasn't like a good way to pay for things online. Like you could send people your credit card, but there wasn't um, a HTTPS, you know, a secure way to send your data over to your the merchants and make sure that nobody else in the middle could see your credit card number. Because the thing about credit card numbers is if you have the number, you mm. can spend money from yeah. it. Um, you were asking to get a hack. Ordering some pizza with a credit card. I mean, same with and bank account numbers and like passwords and stuff like that. It's just like so not going to happen. So they, Microsoft realized, oh, we like need a payment system for this. And uh, they were also going to attach like a, a digital uh, ID passport to your copy of Windows. So you'd be able to have, you know, like an, a digital ID. And then the dot-com bubble burst. And sort of everyone, like, you know, bucket of cold water got thrown on everything and people just kind of forgot about it. Then we got PayPal, you know, credit cards, but really had that worked out, like the internet would be a very different place, you know, like mm. how, like, man, like everything would have been a lot different, I think. Uh, Microsoft also would have owned the world. Microsoft would have owned the world, so it would have been a lot different in a way worse way. I mean, it would have just been, uh, God. If they had their hands on digital currency and transactions, the internet. It's a big part of like everyone's lives now, you know, all the growth that occurred, mm. um, you know, the world runs on, on software at this point. So the idea that Microsoft was going to own everything. Yeah. So glad it didn't happen. We got PayPal, pay whatever. We have Apple pay now. So it's Google. I mean, Apple pay is really the best one. Um, so it's, so it's all fixed. Um, but yeah, it it was a good protocol at the time, but really like the downside was that it was it was centralized and you could only really make it work for like fiat, you know, you could like maybe you have it tied to like bonds or like stocks or something like that, but like, you know, people didn't really want that. Mm-hmm. Uh, still don't. And it it, it just kind of got forgotten about. You know, and then Bitcoin came about, still people forgot about it. Um and like uh, around a couple, like maybe like five years ago or a little more, this uh, researcher from Germany, uh, Eric Elsirion, figured out that, you know, you could take this Chaumian eCash concept and combine it with Bitcoin. And you actually have a protocol that might have legs, but you still have the problem of the, so like in the sense that like, you know, you make up a, bank where you deposit Bitcoin and you get issued e-cash 
And then if you want to pay a, a transaction, you can pay through eCash by paying the provider and then they pay the, you know, whatever the address, the invoice for that. And they then, get, they, then they, they get paid out. Yeah. And then they don't know who, where the payment came from. Because um, the thing about eCash, you can also send it to yourself. So the the a transaction is typically a to, a from, and then amount. In the case of eCash, the to and the from is uh, totally private. You can't tell who it is. It could be me sending to you, me sending to me. It, there's no way to discern. So, uh, so he he combined the two, but then realized like you know this is still kind of sucks because yeah it's harder to take down because someone could just set up the bank anywhere in the world. Uh, but you still have the issue of the custodian being able to run away with your money. So the way you can fix that is by, instead of having a single custodian manage the private keys for those Bitcoin, you have a federation of custodians. And the federation is basically the owners of a multi-signature wallet, a multi-signature address on the Bitcoin blockchain. Meaning that when you deposit money into this mint, to this Chaomian mint, it's not just one person that owns it, it's multiple people that own it, and then what you can do is you can set up a threshold for what you think is acceptable in terms of security. So let's say there's three people in the federation. You can specify in the software, in the configuration of the software before you start it, that two of those three people can be any two, combination of the three, to accept, to, to authorize and authenticate mm-hmm. the, the transfer of eCash. And now you've really like assuming the federation can be trusted or at least some members in enough of a threshold of the federate, like at least two out of three can be trusted. You actually have like a pretty good system. It's still custodial in nature, meaning that you're not directly in control, but you get so many benefits from it that giving up on that custodial aspect I think is worth it at a certain price point for a certain number of use cases. It's not, I wouldn't use this for like your life savings. You know, like if you, if you have Bitcoin and you want to give it to your kids, you, you really do need to look at something like something like on chain, you know, like a multi-sig or whatever, um, or, or, or some other scheme, um, that where you're in hundred percent in control. Uh, but maybe for like, you know, e-commerce, this could work really well. Because in e-commerce, you know, the the volumes are a little bit different. You know, like you, it's really just about making business transactions happen. You know, you want the confidentiality and you also want it to be cheap. So because this isn't directly on chain, you don't pay the transaction fees. You also get this added benefit of programmability. And that's really... I, me personally, where I get really excited about, and this is what, so, so just sort of to, to just fully close out how Fediment works mm-hmm. is you and a couple of your friends get together, you make a multi-signature wallet, and then you run the Fediment protocol software on top of your Bitcoin core node. And then this lets you manage this mint 
and it's really all just automated. Uh, you don't, as a as a, uh, a federation member, have to really do anything mm. other than to just make sure your server isn't crashed and it's connected to the internet. And then once you do that, when people make transactions, these eCash transactions, that transaction gets uh, shared with the federation members. They all share it with each other and make sure that they are in agreement with that transaction. And then together, once they all agree that they all agree, move together in lockstep onto the next, where it's called epoch. And a, an epoch is just like a slice of time. Yeah. You know, so it's like X, you know, these five transactions happened in the last five minutes. I just made sure that everybody saw these five transactions and that I made sure that they made sure that they saw me as well. Um, let's post it. And an epoch is like a block. So... Uh, and then they'll post it to the to this database and make sure that everybody's in agreement to what the final state uh, of these five transactions is, and they just keep moving forward in time. Um, so uh, you can deposit Bitcoin into it. You get eCash. You can deposit you can deposit the eCash back to the federation. They'll return the Bitcoin again if they're trustworthy. So you got to be able to trust them, at, at, at least enough of them, right? Um, and you can, one more added benefit mm. is that you can send, you can pay lightning invoices with it because what you can do in, in a sort of contrived, uh, roundabout manner, but it's, it's secure and private, which is why, why it's, it is the way it is. But you basically pay the Federation in eCash and the, the Federation will more or less, you know, they have, they have this thing called the lightning gateway and like all this other mm. technology, but Basically, let's say you want to buy a $100 gift card on BitRefill, but you only have $100 worth of Bitcoin in eCash. All you're going to do is just point your wallet to BitRefill and the Federation will make sure that everything happens uh, correctly. Awesome. So, yeah, it's super awesome because one, Lightning Invoices is already an awesome format for, uh, I mean, it's an invoice. It's really what you want, right? And uh, it's already widely adopted, so you don't have to have yet another standard for, mm -hmm. for people to buy into. And it allows different federations to be able to pay each other without being concerned about the trustworthiness of each other. Because again, you're, you're just sort of relying on the trustlessness of Lightning to bridge together all these different communities, because that's really what they're going to end up being. It's just different, different community mm -hmm. banks. Um, it, it in my in my view, this is going to get widely adopted by the global south in in a in a in a in a communal fashion. But then with lightning, they'll all be able to pay each other more or less in a seamless manner. Yeah, and this is really going. This is really good because onboarding people onto lightning is tough. The reason for that is because more or less you need money to receive money. And the people in the global south, that's their problem is that they don't have any money. Like they're willing to work, willing to do stuff. They're capable, competent, but they don't have anything to start up with, you know? So the, the they have the classic cold start problem. Whereas if they were onboarded directly onto Fediment, uh, all you need to do to, download, to start using Fediment is just download a very lightweight piece of software onto your mobile device. And then you generate, a, you join a federation. You would join the one that you know you can trust. Uh, 
and then you just show a lightning invoice and I can just pay it from like my Phoenix wallet, you know? So you just receive sats. It's totally private for that one guy that has no money, you know, probably no recourse to like protect themselves, um, in, in terms of like the, the privacy of their financial transactions and they're off to the races. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, let's say if they, you know, they accumulate, you know, a fair amount of wealth in this, uh, uh, in this federation, they probably have enough money to pay for the transaction fee to then bump all that money off to cold storage. Mm -hmm. And at that point it's fully self-custodial, right? So like, that's really how I see people using this is e-cash for just like spending money, you know, doing, doing transactions. Lightning will be more for like a checking account, you know, where you like get your like whole paycheck deposited into, uh, but then you spend out of an e-cash wallet and then on chain, I see that more for cold storage mm -hmm. and your life savings, essentially, you know, so you have your savings account, you have your checking accounts, and then you have your super special, you know, community banking credit card. Right. Fede, Fede would be like the, the debit it, card that you're using for that yeah. checking account. Yeah. It's, it's, but, uh, it's totally private. <laughs> and the, like I said, you can program the e-cash inside the federation. Mm -hmm. So what do I mean by that? Well, for example, you could imagine, uh, some kind of escrow service, you know, that's, um, that, uh, doesn't involve a, a, a third party. You, you, you can do that if you have enough programmability, you can imagine a decentralized order book. You can imagine for the ordinals people, this is something that I, I post to them. Uh, hopefully they take me up on it, but they wanted to make an exchange for buying and selling ordinals and they were trying to do it all on chain. And I told them, it's like, yeah, you can do that, but it's going to be really hard and it's not going to be fun. And I don't think your users are going to like it that much. It's for sure going to be expensive. What if instead you just keep the ownership of the ordinal on chain, but then the bidding occurs within a federation and then you can really do whatever you want. It, it, in my, in my perspective, it would be so much better to have it set up that way rather than having it, um, you know, just try to using, uh, just Bitcoin on chain. Mm -hmm. And the project that I had made, uh, real quick, real quick. I wanted to ask a couple of questions oh, yeah, or kind of just make a few comments. Uh, so Fetty Mint, it's, it's essentially, you know, it's a number of things, but from Fetty Mint, you don't really need anyone outside of Bitcoin being like a Bitcoin company and operating within the laws of their government. You, you're not going to, you don't need exchanges. You can build that in Fetty Mint. Yeah. You don't need to worry about the time that it takes to take your fiat and move it into something like a stable coin, which mm -hmm. then you can move it and sell it as Bitcoin. And then you can move the Bitcoin. You're eliminating these steps because you can just have a federation yeah. that you can send your Bitcoin to and they'll take care of whatever their services are mm -hmm. that you're looking for. So you're, you're almost creating like this, like a uh, anarchist community within Bitcoin that's that is going to have its checks and balances because you still need to have some sort of a review system, some sort of a re reputation. 
you can't just be a federation that's going to, you know, run away with people's money. Um, so there's going to be, whether it's good or bad, there has to be some sort of checks or ba- and balances for this to work. But essentially, with Fediment, you can just eliminate a lot of the roadblocks that it would take for someone to take Bitcoin and make it useful for whatever it is they want, for their friends, for their family, for banking services. Really, it's the best way to get anybody onboarded onto Bitcoin. It can be great for businesses that just want to start accepting Bitcoin because they don't have to set up lightning channels. They don't have to set up a node. They just have to set up a wallet and just some very basic software um, that eventually with Bolt uh, 12, um, which is this new standard of, of lightning invoices that built on top of lightning invoices, they won't even need software. They'll just need a QR code mm-hmm. or an NFC tag, you know, and they just have like QR codes for all their items in the store. And then you just snap it and then you pay for it right then and there. And then if they want to eventually move over because they're doing so much volume, they can just very easily transition over to lightning because it'll, it will be the same standard of, uh, interoperability, lightning invoices. So. I mean, you like, you don't need a link tree, you know, if you're like a no. business, if you're promoting yourself on social media, if, if you're running a concert or if you're selling out of venues or if you're, mm-hmm. run, you know, running a conference, like totally. you can do this all within Fediment. There's no reason why like, uh, Lollapalooza, for example, or, uh, Coachella, you know, you, like usually those cons, uh, those festivals, what they'll have you do when you first walk in is have you buy their tokens and then the tokens let you buy the beer and the food and stuff. Uh, no reason why they can't just make a federation of um concert organizers and they all just use these e-cash tokens they don't even have to be bitcoin also okay. so you um, can use stable coins and different you can use whatever cryptos. you want yeah it's just that the fediment software works with bitcoin mm-hmm. uh but you can just take bitcoin testnet or rec test even and just have it be worth nothing and then you just use the e-cash um it, it's software you know so it's really flexible it's just a matter of what you can ship and the issuing of eCash is as simple as... It's automatic. Uh, ...taking gold and saying that this is currency based in that gold. You know, it's it's just a continuation of that, kind of creating money. That doesn't matter what it, it's based in as long as that worth exists. That's definitely something I've thought about as well. Uh, I do expect there to be federations that issue assets um, in that they'll, you know, I, I could see... For example, a federation, like you said, where the federation members all have like gold coins or something, and then they like live stream like the gold coins or something. There's still that element of trust, but like, you know, if you ever want to cash out, they like ship you the gold coins. I I don't see why they couldn't do that. Or a beef federation. Or a beef, yeah, for, rancher, for, a federation of ranchers. For eggs or any like eggs or, um, or for really nice cars or for property. Um, really no, no reason why it can't exist, uh, in that manner, other than people just not wanting to, uh, but the, it, it's cool. Cause like, like I said, you can program stuff into it. So you can program like, uh, a way to do stability into Bitcoin, you know, where like the price is a little bit stable by having this, um, like a, a DeFi like protocol. 
for example. Whether that works well or not, you know, is another story, but it is something you can do. And I do think, you know, it's permissionless software. Nobody has to ask for permission. If you do finally crack that and get it out there, that would be really valuable. And actually, that's what won first place in uh, that hackathon that I competed in. Mm -hmm. It was a way to make uh, e-cash wallet, but with a stable amount, stable value in the wallet. And they had like this sort of DeFi-like protocol. Uh, and uh, that got first place. That was $50,000 first prize. Wow. I think it was, uh, I think it was a group of, uh, it was a group of Anons that uh, submitted that. So I don't know who it was. Um, a little bit more impressive then for you to take the runner up as a solo project, right? Yeah, I, I actually, I was the, I think I was the only solo project. Uh, solo participants i did have a partner at the beginning but then they dropped out and so i finished it by myself let's get into your project my my project was a file system that ran that was hosted by the federation so the idea was you have that database that keeps track of all the transactions that is um sort of uh made consistent by a consensus algorithm and so the nice thing about that is that that database is actually highly available, meaning that all of the data in that database is always very easy to retrieve. Why? Because you have all of the Federation members keeping identical copies of it and making sure that they all keep identical copies of it through this consensus algorithm. So my idea was, well, what if in addition to transactions, you just store arbitrary data? And this is sort of what a file system is. It's just a way to write and read data in, in, you know, in, in a way that's convenient. So uh, the project was called SmallFS. The idea was sometimes there's uh, Bitcoin apps as they get more complicated are going to need to have a way to store data in a way where the user can always retrieve it. Good example of this is, is the configuration file of that software. Like you're going to have your mnemonic seed, you know, which is where you derive your private keys from and your public keys from, but you're also going to have like other configuration data that's specific to your instance of the wallet. So you, what you typically would do is you would just store your uh, mnemonic seed, right, by writing down the words. But then if you, like, lose your phone or, like, you're, you get a, some kind of error or so, something bad happens, if you want to recover, you're also going to want, probably also going to want to get your configuration uh, or, like, your little database of, like, you know, important data that is relevant to you. And that's sort of how I got to SmallFS is what if we had this highly available storage system that let you uh, write and read data from that was backed by a federation and you could pay for that storage in eCash. The reason why I want to keep it small and for like that specific use case is because I don't want to overburden the the bandwidth of the federation because that is still a finite you know resource between them in terms of that the internet connection that they have between them um, and also just like keep it sane you know like i don't want people i didn't want people to put like movies and stuff uh, on, on on this even though like uh you know adopt ado adapting the protocol to that uh through ipfs potentially like that would be possible somebody actually did do that 
Uh, that was another project that somebody else did. Um, but yeah, uh, so yeah, I got the runner up. It turned out that uh, these other participants that I was talking to, one of them knew this startup that was uh, that needed a Rust developer. Uh, Rob uh, Hamilton, basically, he's a, he's a CEO. And ever since then, uh, we got connected because I, I was helping them out with like some Rust stuff. And he was already working at a company. And he recommended me t- he recommended me to Rob. And then Rob and I got to talking. And then like within a couple days, I was I just started working for them and just getting paid um, on contract. And it's just been a amazing experience so far immediate experience too like the 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 door was open it all you know and it all lined up and i think like you mentioned before that's part of the beauty of contributing in this open sourced world is the second that your merit Mm -hmm. is proved it's it's going to lead to more people reaching out being interested and collaborating together yeah and and you know, don't be shy. Just put yourself out there. Um, people are a lot nicer than you think. Sometimes they're mean, but you know, just get over it. And if you do that, like people will notice, especially if you know you you have good intentions and you you work hard and you're you're competent. People will just show up, and they there's a lot of work to be done, and uh, they'll pay you for it. So it it's really just a matter of you know, focusing on one thing. And that's sort of what like really, I think why I had success is I just focused on Rust and Bitcoin. And cause I saw that as like my, my edge, you know, it's like, what is the one thing no one else is doing? And no one's doing Rust cause it's like kind of hard <laughs> and no one's doing Bitcoin cause little two chicken shit. <laughs> and so <laughs> if I do those two things, like I can, I can definitely compete, you know? And I just did that, you know, during my time at Deal. I'm prior to that as mm-hmm. well. I, I've been lear- I've been learning Rust since 2018, really. Um, but you know, you just keep focus on you just keep focusing on one thing and one thing only, and eventually, like, just good things will come to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, really, uh, the the worst thing happens, and this has happened to me. You know, is when you just get distracted, and you know, there's lots. of Oh, it's really cool things to work on, but like, just really do one thing, you know, and, and just get to it. Uh, yeah, eventually you'll just be rewarded. So right now I'm working with this, um, company called Anchor Watch. Uh, it's pre-seed. We have angel investments. We're looking to raise a seed round later this year. If, if we do that, that would, that would be amazing. Because it means we have runway for for many years to to like really launch the business. Anchor Watch is a company that is offering this new wallet called Trident Wallet. Trident Wallet is a multi-signature wallet, and the whole purpose of Anchor Watch is to offer a multi-signature wallet that has Bitcoin insurance built into it. So insurance for the Bitcoin themselves, not price. Okay. Meaning that if you use Anchor Watch and you pay for the insurance, if you ever lose the Bitcoin, we will make you whole again in dollars. And so this is really nice for custodians. This is really nice for uh, trust funds, for 
anybody that wants to hold on to Bitcoin for uh, for a lot, that wants to hold on to a lot of Bitcoin for a long time, and have some level of assurance that there's not going to be an issue. In that, you know, if if they do get hacked, that we can just make them whole again, and they can just, you, you know, they're made whole again. Uh, right now, if you lose your Bitcoin, like you're just kind of SOL, right? Uh, this is why people use exchanges, you know, because the exchanges, even though they're custodial and they're centralized, they, if they ha- if they're successful and they have like, you know, they can make money, they mm-hmm. can hire professionals to like look after all of this. Yeah. So what we're making is this wallet system. It's going to be open source, so anybody can run it. That makes it really easy for you to secure those bitcoins the the twist on this because there's lots of multi-signature wallets out there is that we're using miniscript miniscript is a uh compiler meaning that it it takes uh instructions and then compiles it down to in this case uh bitcoin script and in those instructions you are specifying a spending policy for the bitcoin meaning that this particular Bitcoin right here can only be spent in this particular manner by these particular people at this particular time. When you start to lock that down, it's actually like pretty clear why those Bitcoin will not get stolen. Mm. And you can do all kinds of really interesting things. It's a, it's a smart contracting technology. Bitcoin does have smart contracts. They're just like much simpler than what is found on other chains. There's good reasons for that. But it still has enough programmability where you can do interesting things like time locks and uh, hash locks and um, being able to spend from specific keys. So when you combine those things, you can actually make a pretty robust wallet system where you know you have a pretty good degree uh, of assurance that your your bitcoins won't get taken. And, and once you do that, if you price that risk accordingly, you can then charge a premium. And then that's when you have a viable business model. Then what you do is you 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 take that money. That's the front office for an insurance company. And then you have the back office where they take that pool of money that just keeps accumulating. And you buy bonds and stocks and maybe Bitcoin, real estate. Uh, Hopefully not payout claims. Well, no, it's okay if you pay out claims as long as you price the risk accordingly and you understand what the likelihood of uh, a payout is, you know, like then it's fine. Uh, I mean, this is how car insurance works. Um, the downside of like insurance companies is that it, like it kind of gets weird because like everyone starts buying each other's insurance, uh, which if like if only a couple people show up at a time to claim, it's fine. Um, but then if everybody comes up to claim at the same time, then you can have a lot of problems. Um, a really good example of this right now, and this is kind of grim, um, well, I'll use a less grim example is, uh, uh, California wildfires, um, are making it impossible or making it really expensive for people to, for insurance companies to insure those homes. So as a result, like if you want to build a house in California, it's just got, it just now recently got that much more expensive to buy the insurance for the house. Um, that's not good, you know, especially if your house is like really expensive, which in California they are. Well, and strategically, from what I understand, in California, there's a little bit of a game to be played where you are building houses in places that you know 
yeah aren't safe for people that, to live out there because that's then part, those insurance companies make money yeah. from that that's i mean that's the whole part of like um we're gonna have like a fraud you know department probably mm-hmm. um and we're gonna have to think about very closely about making sure that that that's not going to be an issue and if it is an issue we, we have a way to deal with it uh but this will be mostly aimed at like companies you know uh so it'll be like a business to business type of interaction meaning like we really know who they are if we think that they committed fraud and we have evidence like we'll take them to court um at least in the united states uh but the idea is to offer this to everybody in the world and we're also going to open source it so if we like get blown up you know rob nick and i <laughs> everybody else at the company you'll still be able to download the software and then get your coins out. So mm-hmm. you won't have to trust us that much. Well, it's fantastic because it's it's a digital insurance and mm-hmm. you, do have, you do have insurance for ASICs mm-hmm. and rigs mm-hmm. and mining operations. Mm-hmm. And there's ways that insurance companies are able to kind of fluctuate and make sure that at no point you're going to lose money if something bad happens. But... There hasn't really been a touch to that in terms of the wallet where your Bitcoin is stored yeah. and what happens if that goes missing or if someone takes it. Yeah. And, you know, one of the most awful things you hear in Bitcoin are when people lose them and they either lose them to theft or incompetence. Um, and both both stories are always really, really, you know, disheartening. But now with insurance... I think it's just going to be that much easier for people to consider Bitcoin, you know, especially large companies that have a treasury, you know, they don't want to buy real estate. They don't want to buy stocks. They don't want to buy bonds, but you know, you can buy Bitcoin. And if you're concerned about losing it, we have an awesome wallet system. Like the wallet we have is like really, really, really cool. I think, um, we got this design team. To just uh, it has like a nautical theme to it. Uh, watch, yeah. Yeah, it's it. You know the um, uh, topographical maps that you use for like charting waters. Mm. Like that's the background. That's cool. It's it's like yeah, this like aqua blue. It's yeah, I think it looks really great, and it's easy. To, it will be easy to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're really I've I've used so many wallets over the years, and they always have all these UI shortcomings. So the things that we can make you know really really improve on we're going to do that um nick he's an amazing front-end developer um rob is super smart he's doing all the insurance uh side of it he he has a background in data science so like statistics is is you know his bread and butter so i honestly i just feel really confident about this like i i do try to you know temper my expectations and um you know not try to fly off the handle but I think this is going to end up being a really nice product that people are going to like. So I, I can't wait to put it out there and have people use it and have it make owning Bitcoin that much easier. So right now I'm, you know, we're still, the MVP is like almost kind of done. Uh, like the basic functionality is all there. We're just sort of adding polish and a few final and just adding features and features and features to make it as easy to use as possible. And, uh, yeah, it's really just been a 
fortuitous turn of events. Like I really did not have any expectations, you know, uh, of, of this working out, but I just really wanted to do it and it did work out and I, yeah, really happy about that. Well, the, the beauty is, is that you did it in your own way and that's the part that people have a hard time coping with. That's what you hear from successful people all the yeah. time. I mean, right now, two big ones are like Hermosi yeah. and Chris Williamson, mm-hmm. and they picked their own thing yeah. and they just put their head down and they worked, worked, worked and made it happen. And dude, it's inspiring because the reason why I do this podcast is because one, I need a uh, and a never-ending educational source to learn about yeah. Bitcoin, yeah. everything that's related to Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. So what better way than to talk to people in the industry and people who are really smart? And two, it's also how I kind of create my image. Like, mm. wherever we go, like, Plaminko's just somewhere lost in a conversation with someone. Yeah. And it's this feeling of something that Nate and I talked about in our episode of of just bringing a vulnerability to the table. And when I went to Miami this last time, it was interesting to hear from people talking about stacking sats and being like, oh, that's cool, you know, Plamenko's doing it, to people being excited about it and being like, dude, keep at it. Like, you have your niche, your style, Mm -hmm. and few people have dubbed me the Lex Friedman Bitcoin (laughs) mining (laughs) podcast. Which is like way too specific, so I don't even want that. And I, and I want to do my own thing. And yeah. one day it'd be great to meet Lex. And even if it's just in passing, like we met Eric Weinstein. Yeah. But basically my whole tangent, the point to it, is that the real rewards and the success doesn't come until you truly let go and you find that thing that makes you you. And it can be for some people 70 different platforms, and for some people it can be one. Mm-hmm. But regardless, it's not going to happen unless you put yourself into it. And I'm really happy to see from my end as a friend and someone in the industry from a different side mm-hmm. that you've been met with open arms. Yeah. And finally, it's not just your friends being like, talk to Matias because he's really fucking smart. It's people who know their shit like you know your shit and you guys are in you know no pun intended consensus having these difficult conversations and working together to improve things no it's 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 so much fun working on this stuff it's it's i feel like i just been accidentally training for it since like 2016 you know and i uh i feel like i don't know there's something about not having expectations and still putting in everything you have into it and just fucking whatever, dude, you know, like whatever. Uh, and sometimes it doesn't work out, but you still gave it your all, you know, like everyone will always respect that no matter what, but it's really like, really try to kill the expectations and just like, like what, how can you do the best job possible? And then go and do it. it. If more people did that, I, I think they'd they'd be just so much happier rather than 
trying to like visualize a future and you know thinking oh this is going to happen to me if i do this it's mm -hmm. like dude it might not happen like you but it's like you have no control over other people like you know anyways so it's it's really just yeah like i said just thinking about how can you do this the best way possible the the, the most the correct way possible and just taking it from there and you know if something is important to you like you'll figure that out you know how to do that and it, it won't be hard it'll be easy because it's important to you so yeah i really um i really feel good about it so well it seeps too <laughs> it, it seeps in the sense that it might be starting with bitcoin but it develops into your personal relationships what you find important mm-hmm for me, it's pushing me further into, into fitness. fitness. You know, I'm really, really big, big into my fitness. fitness. Same. Now, now getting, getting my you know, personal trainer certificate. Mm -hmm. um, okay, okay, let's do more. All right, I, I want, want to keep learning, learning Python. Just yep. learn about yeah. Ellen Bits. Yeah. Yeah. You Start know, maybe there's a Python, Python uh, space within Bitcoin. Yeah. You know, it, it just, it never ends. And you're one of those friends who I can always converse with on that level. And it's because you do put in that work. It's, it's inspiring, inspiring to me and hopefully to everyone who is a part of your life and gets to have you around. Um, and just, just wanted to give a nice shout out to Edwin, Edwin for being so patient as to recording us. <laughs> uh, I think the <laughs> longest episode of Stacking Stats. Is it? Oh, man. Yeah, it is. Oh, crap. I know we didn't get to three hours, but yeah, there's, there's always room for improvement. And, yeah, and we, we got we to gotta break like... Like, like a, a Balaji episode of yeah, like six, six hours. I know. We we'll gotta, gotta we gotta get Balaji on here. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, we, we, we didn't talk about Ellen bits. I think we can do that for another. Yeah, another and, and I think that there's a lot in Fediment that we have to like kind of go through and dissect. That's yeah. not going to be, you know, done in a half hour. I think we should. So I, all I want to say about Fediment is that um, if you go to the Fedi uh, BTC Twitter, they have a link there to. Their, their test flight, flight which, which is how you do ba test beta apps on iOS for your iPhone. And then and you can, can download the wallet and check it out. It's basically all there. They haven't released it on mainnet. But yeah, maybe we can do an episode on just on Fediment once it releases on mainnet. Should be later this year, I think. Yeah, and I think it'd be cool to visualize some of the things that we talked about in another episode to show people, you know, the... The, the true quickness, quickness of lightning, and to show kind of like how the Fediment app works yeah. and all these all these, these concepts, concepts to give a to give an image to yeah. it. But with that being said, I'm super happy, uh, super happy, and thankful to have you on, Matthias, for for round two. It's yeah. been a pleasure. Yeah, I thank you for inviting me. I I love coming on to here and just uh, yeah talking about Bitcoin and all the, all the cool shit we're up to. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we'll, we'll do, do it again, again soon, and hopefully, hopefully there's, there's some more good news, news to share. Yeah, yeah I, I think, think so. so. All right. All right. <laughs>